I think I think we would wouldn't be even be able to withstand an invasion of by Luxembourg, From Luxembourg or yeah. Andorra. If, if Luxembourg invaded, it really could be a false flag operation as well. It would be a very confusing battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> It's Friday, February 17th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I am Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and the new drummer of U2. And with me today is uh, Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and uh, Amsterdam Police Cat. I guess we should say uh, congratulations, first of all, on your uh, exciting new job. Yeah, there is some. Uh, I have some exciting news about my new promotion. Uh, mm. <laughs> no, it's not me. Uh, there's another person <laughs> from Brabant who's going to uh, fill the shoes of uh, Larry Mullen Jr., uh, who is the drummer of U2. Uh, that's um, Bram van den Berg. Uh, yeah. He's now the drummer of Krasip, uh, which is a well-known band in the Netherlands. They scored a number of hits over the years. Yeah. And I think Queen. they rank very, uh, very high in the top 2000. So, Gordon, uh, you're we're very familiar with them. I think. Yeah, we we shouldn't hold that against them though. Um, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Spite of that uh, blot on his um, CV, he he still uh, he still got the gig uh, as a stand-in drummer for you two during their summer concerts. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they had, I think, uh, uh, in the uh, commercial break of the Super Bowl, they had announced, uh, yeah, uh, several concerts in, in in Las Vegas, and fans were very angry that uh, the drummer was uh, was wasn't present there. Well, he's recovering from surgery, apparently. So then they need a new, yeah, they, they need to find a temporary stand-in drummer uh, for the summer uh, while they're in um, uh, while they're based in Las Vegas, um, and they have selected, uh, yeah, uh, Bram van der Beer. So quite a coup for Dutch music and Dutch drumming. Um, yeah, so, uh, everyone is very excited about it, and they are excited, all pretending yeah, yeah. that they know this drummer very well, even though I'm yeah. not sure they have never heard <laughs> of Bram van der Berg before. Uh, this news was announced, but uh, yeah, very very nice uh, for Bram, and um, uh, we we wish him very uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, we we hope that he have a mar- he has a marvelous time playing with Bono. Um, yeah, are you a fan of the U2 music or? I've, uh, well, I'm familiar with UT's music. I'm not a massive fan, but I think uh, yeah, it was kind of the soundtrack to my um, yeah, to, to, to my youth. To my, they were they were big during my teens and have been ever since, I guess. And um, so yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's it's good news for Dutch music. I wonder if this is kind of an Andy Warhol thing, where you know in the future everyone will be the drummer for U2 for 15 <laughs> minutes or something. It's going to be. Yeah. Uh, then uh, yeah. If if you had never been a drummer of you two, you uh, <laughs> haven't really made it in. You music. haven't really lived. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah but obviously, the, the the Dutch music press have got into raptures about this. You know, they're very excited um, and uh, been uh, yeah, yeah uh, singing the praises of Van uh, uh, van der Berg and indeed for for Dutch drumming generally. So it's seeing a quote from a, a Dutch uh, um, music journalist saying the Netherlands has a very world has like a world renowned community of drummers. I have to say, yeah. I couldn't name. I couldn't really name a single Dutch drummer. I don't know if uh, <laughs> no, I don't know about you, but, uh, um, but I'm sure it's true. Yeah, um, but obviously YouTube have done their research and they've decided this guy is, uh, yeah, uh, is the man for the job. So yeah, yeah we should say well done to Bram. Good uh, advert for Dutch music. A much better advert than the top trade doesn't certainly. Yes, and um, speaking of uh, things uh, people were uh, enthusiastic about, um, yeah. you have been uh, uh, promoted <laughs> to. Uh, being a pet of an Amsterdam police. Apparently, I've been uh, prowling the yeah the canals and the uh, and, and and the houseboats of Amsterdam in my capacity as uh, Amsterdam's police cat. This is a slightly bizarre 
story. I kind of thought that uh, sort of the era of um, cats being big on the internet was kind of uh, been and gone, it, yeah. but apparently not. No, it's still going strong. And uh, somebody called Lydia Faber went viral on TikTok this week uh, because mm. um, she her, her cat, which lives on her houseboat with her, she's got two cats, and she says uh, the, the, there's an older one and a younger one, and the older one is kind of like a sort of um, well, really a lifeguard for the younger one because the older one knows how to swim basically. So she gave wow. this older cat um, uh, a life vest, and then some uh, people. Um, uh, some of our neighbours started saying because it's a black cat with a yellow vest on said oh he looks like a police cat displaying <laughs> that famous world renowned Amsterdam humour that they have there uh, so she decided she then started to, to, to put a uh, make a little badge made for this cat saying police and now it walks around the streets and people started filming this or she started filming it sticking it on TikTok and uh, it kind of uh, yeah it, it sort of took off and there's uh, some articles about it in the parole and there's um, a video of the cats sort of crossing the street and it's police fest and the video of the cat on a houseboat uh, or sort of basically just doing things that cats the cats generally do right like just walking around <laughs> running going Except underneath that- cars looking at you sarcastically but with the police vest on so yeah <laughs> which is I, I, I now come to think of it is actually a good uh, this cat would be well suited in, uh, in 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 the Amsterdam police force I'm now watching this TikTok and it ends yeah. with this very long um, close up of the cat's anus so <laughs> I don't know why they have done that but apparently yeah. It has been watched one one point four uh, no, millions of times on on TikTok. One point four million and, uh, times, yeah, that was yeah. And the, the, there is, of course, inevitably as well, a video of the cat looking stoned because it's Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> so and that one's done yeah. quite well as well. So yes, indeed. Yeah. So um, yes, yeah, so a very easy way to get big on top TikTok really is to, to, to give your pet a, uh, a novelty costume. Exactly. Bit, yeah. a, bit of advice from the podcast there. It's uh, the internet, uh, the start of the internet all over again. Yeah, I yeah. Think. We've we've reset the internet. Yeah. Um, so, and that brings us to the uh, Opeth of the Week, and uh, this week it comes from Luxembourg. Um, yeah, not really, it comes from the Netherlands, but uh, it, it comes from the TV broadcaster RTL, which stands for Radio et Television Luxembourg. Mm. Uh, do you, know, do you, you do know that they are broadcasting literally from Luxembourg, right? I RTL. knew they broadcast literally from Luxembourg yeah. as well. I, I didn't realize that was, uh, that was what RTL stood for. It's kind yeah, of weird because RTL, even though they've got a French name, mainly broadcast in the Netherlands and Germany, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. A, bit, yeah, and it's a bit strange. Yeah. But and if you, yeah. if you, if you uh, look closely to the TV schedule of RTL, they always broadcast at around 5 a.m. in the morning a news broadcast from Luxembourg. Uh, yeah. Because that's, that's, uh, they have to broadcast something from Luxembourg in order to have their, uh, you know, their license. Yeah, uh, to qualify uh, as uh, being a Luxembourg-based TV station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that way yeah. they can deviate all sorts of media loss in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. But going back to the OPEF, they have, uh, RTL has decided to scrap that traditional TV debate with political leaders in the wake of the provincial elections. RTL is among several other broadcasters that usually organize TV debates before elections, the others being Ein Vandaag and NOS. Uh, RTL's original plan was to have a debate two weeks before the uh, elections on March 15th, but this was opposed by the parties who felt that uh, that was way too far in advance. The second proposal was to have a debate as part of the Yenak Daily Talk Show, uh, but that led to a new discussion over the question which parties should participate. The talk show wanted to invite the six largest parties in the polls, but that means that uh, coalition partner CDA would not be welcome, while newcomers BBB and Ja in het Winter would take part in the debate. According to the Volkskrant, the VVD refused to come without CDA, but their real reason was they simply didn't want to put Ja in het Winter or BBB in the spotlights by having them debate the Prime Minister. 
The VVD's demands uh, led to such an impasse that RTL, tired of the party's high school drama shenanigans, saw scrapping the entire debate as the only option left. And that now means that the public only has three debates to look forward to, with people we cannot vote for debating topics the election is not about. Yes, so uh, no, no, probably no big loss, but uh, a chance for lots of people to get very um, angry for one reason or another, either because there isn't a debate or because their party's not uh, getting into the debate or something. So, I always like the uh, the RTL debate, the best of all the of all the TV debates. So I'm, I'm yeah. I uh, I think it is uh, it is quite a loss, but um, yeah, it is always a. a uh, point of, of debate, right? Uh, uh, having a TV debate with national yeah. political leaders uh, in the wake of a local election, and uh, they're going to debate stuff that the uh, the the the, uh, the election isn't about, and uh, yeah, they yeah. Are, they are people we cannot vote for. So what's the point? But yeah. Uh, TV channels they just want to of course pay attention to the election but yeah then they have the I understand that they don't want to uh, you know have what, what is it uh, 12 debates with uh, <laughs> with uh, all the all the yeah all with the, every single the... party taking part yeah like including mm. Jesus Leeft and uh, yeah yeah exactly yeah so that's that's unpredictable yeah yeah and yeah, so I, I understand that, but yeah, it's I do think that I mean if there is one election, then this one is the is the only one that uh, you can say that there is an, a national element to it, of course, because the yeah. uh, representatives of the province they elect the senate. But um, yeah, um, um, uh, I I I don't think that uh, as you said, uh, much is lost uh, with uh, with one debate uh, uh, getting pulled out. Yeah, yeah, and at least it wasn't. A, yeah, but, but there is going to be like a, 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 a head-to-head TV debate between uh, Grutte and Wilders, I saw on Eén Vandaag. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, the, yeah. Eén Vandaag also. So the, the, because the, the, so the 250th edition of uh, um, <laughs> uh, Grutte versus Wilders, which will be every bit as predictable and tedious as all the previous ones. Yeah, especially because they're going to debate um, immigration as ever. Oh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I do think that the VVD has uh, nothing to win with debating Ja 21 or BBB. They are the, yeah, they are very small parties in the Tweede Kamer right now. But yeah, they 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 are quite high in the polls. Um, but they are the main yeah competitors of the VVD basically. Ja 21 is. Uh, draws a lot of uh, yeah, disgruntled voters from, from VVD and BBB is of course opposed to the uh, nitrogen policies of the government so yeah. Uh, yeah, Rutte or other coalition partners ba- ba- basically have nothing to, to gain from, from uh, debating them because uh, yeah, they have the, the, the populist vote uh, so to speak yeah, you can debate with them on, uh, on, uh, on substance but uh, yeah, yeah they, that's not where they, where they draw their, uh, th- their appeal from I guess so no so it's just going to be a kind of fact-free debate with uh, yeah lots of uh, sloganizing and um, yeah not very enlightening a lot of yes yeah, a lot of heat not much light so yeah insofar a TV debate can be uh, substantial I guess because yeah. they because there's so many parties you only have like three minutes to uh, <laughs> to debate each other and you can never of course uh, debate uh, such a such an important uh, uh, or such a very broad um, topic uh, well I think in 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 the limited amount of time these debates uh, offer um, which is also quite frustrating I think always with these debates uh, everything has to be in sound bites and you never have a in-depth uh, qualitative yeah. uh, uh, debate um, so yeah um, 
I think that's it. <laughs> so there we are. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so once again, people, people upset about a debate being cancelled that they probably won't, weren't going to watch anyway. And well, they're actually quite well. Quite do, well they, they, they do always, get good viewing figures. To be fair, to yeah, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. To, to be perfectly strictly honest. But but, but, but yeah. people love to hate on them. That's right. That's, yes. that's what you mean. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they miss the opportunity to get furious on Twitter. But I'm sure yeah. there will be other the, 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 the other things will, will compensate in the course of the campaign. <laughs> I think so. There will be plenty yeah. of opportunities to be mad about. Yeah. This week, a Dutch search and rescue team returned to the Netherlands after saving a dozen people in Turkey. Political parties are steaming up their campaigns for the provincial and water board elections next month. The Dutch economy has surprisingly avoided a recession in 2022. The ABN Emerald tennis tournament in Rotterdam might have its first Dutch winner in decades. And there are calls to posthumously give a rural distinction to a Dutchman who is fined after World War II for missing the proper stamps when he saved thousands of Jews from the Holocaust. A massive TV and radio fundraising for the victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria on Wednesday has raised almost 89 million euros. Multiple TV channels and radio stations took part in the Dag and dedicated their broadcasts entirely to the charity marathon. Hundreds of Dutch celebrities sat down in the special charity call center in Hilversum, receiving calls from thousands uh, of unbekende Nederlanders and taking their donations to Giro555, the special fund for the uh, cooperating aid organizations that often launches campaigns following major disasters throughout the world or in case of war, such as recently with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Throughout the country, people organized initiatives to raise money, uh, and the Dutch government has also pledged an additional 10 million euros uh, donation to the fund, and this comes on top of the 89 million already collected on Wednesday. The massive earthquake hit the region 11 days ago, and the death toll has since mounted to more than 41,000. Yeah, which is an astonishing number, and... uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, so, so a very good response to the uh, Hero 555. And of course, so during the Axidach, there were lots of shots of um, yeah, the, um, what is it, the, the, the kind of control room of the um, with all these famous Dutch people um, uh, answering Which the I phones. I think, so and, this, uh, this, is a, is, this is a media museum in Hilversum where yeah. uh, all the broadcasters uh, are located. And I think they have specifically... Uh, designed this call center as <laughs> as an integrated part of the building, I think, because they, they they're all all these celebrities. They're always sitting there. Yeah, and they, it is a sort of. Yeah, what is it? A sort of a trapped uh, 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 set of desks with chairs. Yeah, uh, and I think I think they they the architect has uh, has specifically designed it for these sort of uh, uh, broadcasts. Uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, quite, quite, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I like the fact that they, they said throughout the day uh, that there aren't Dutch, there aren't just uh, celebrities here, there are other ordinary volunteers, but then actually ignored all the volunteers and just interviewed the celebrities, and it all seemed yeah. to be about who, who you would get on the on the line when you called in, uh, whether you'd uh, phone up, so, uh, yeah, but anyway, but it was, it was all in a good cause, and uh, yeah, they've uh, raised a, 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 um, a, a pretty good total so far. And the Netherlands also uh, sent some more aid to the region. Yeah, that's right. The Dutch uh, search and rescue team uh, was sent to Turkey as soon as possible after the quake hit, and uh, they had pulled uh, 12 people from the rubble uh, in that in that period there. Uh, the team of 65 people and eight dogs returned to the Netherlands yesterday, and they were welcomed at Eindhoven Airport. Uh, 
Um, yeah, the leader of the team, uh, Job Kramer, told the NOS uh, after he arrived in Eindhoven, they have never rescued so many people after an earthquake. Uh, in the first days after the quake, we were able to save most people, he said, but after that it became more and more difficult. Chances of survival deteriorated rapidly, especially in this cold. And in total, international teams have saved 200 people from the rubble in Turkey. And uh, Job Kramer also said that uh, the highlights... In, in so far, you can call it a highlight was that they had rescued a 12 year old boy uh, who had been under the rubble for uh, almost a week. Um, and uh, yeah, they were uh, very proud that they were able to rescue him. Um, and um, indeed, they uh, they were welcomed in Eindhoven and uh, a lot of people uh, uh, yeah, were celebrating them and, uh, and they, they were welcomed as heroes back to the Netherlands. Yeah, and I see people are still being pulled from the rubble even after 12 yeah. days, which is quite astonishing, really, when you think there's been sub-zero at night. And um, and yeah, I think a 12-year-old boy was rescued, another 12-year-old boy, uh, not the one who was uh, rescued by the Dutch, uh, but was, was uh, found alive, um, I think, uh, yesterday or today. Um, so, yes, quite amazing that uh, they're still finding people alive. Uh, and the Netherlands is also going to relax uh, the visa restrictions a little. Isn't it for yeah, that's right. Disaster zone. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, people affected by the earthquake will be given uh, fast track visas if they need to stay temporarily with relatives in the Netherlands. Uh, that's what uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra has uh, told journalists. Uh, this comes after Belgium and Germany have already eased their visa. Uh, the visa re- regulations for Turks following the quake. People from the earthquake zone in Turkey applying for a, sh- a short-term visa will be given priority, while the arrangement for people from Syria remain unchanged, unfortunately for them. Mm. Um, the foreign minister has already received hundreds of uh, visa applications, which uh, would usually take months to process. And additionally, the immigration service IND said uh, they will suspend the fees for people who are working or studying in the Netherlands and who want to return to the country. Uh, and also people already in the country on a short-term visa will be able to extend them beyond the 180-day period if they are unable to return. Yeah, yeah. because initially Hoekstra was kind of quite uh, hedging his bets a little, wasn't he? So, and he, had, he wanted to wait to see what Belgium and Germany did, and then he would follow. Uh, yes, than, and, uh, so and I guess uh, as ever, especially with an election coming up next month, they're a little bit wary of what the, what the backlash might be from the populist parties. Yes, and what they always say is, uh, yeah, we need to investigate it, we need to look into it, but yeah. uh, uh, fortunately they have uh, uh, come up with a plan uh, quite fast uh, and it hadn't taken them uh, months as, uh, as, it, as they usually As they usually do. would, yes. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's something, yeah. Aside from the rows about the TV debates, there are occasional signs of an election campaign poking through the cracks. Uh, we're a month away from uh, polling day now, and uh, Mark Rutter is playing his tried and tested method of reducing a crowded field to two contenders by warning of a left-wing cloud that threatens to unleash <laughs> a deluge of taxes upon our heads. So this week, Hoonings and Payfidiar, the two parties uh, in question, uh, didn't say that much about uh, taxes, which is just as well because the exact system of which layers of government set which taxes is incredibly complicated but they did say what they want to spend money on um, which namely free public transport for low earners and uh, cheaper tickets mm. for everyone else uh, they say it would cost 400 million euros and uh, it's called iedereen instapper or all aboard uh, and that would be funded by raising taxes on personal wealth and on businesses um, that I think 
So according to Pepe, I've already said they want to raise wealth taxes anyway, so this isn't really new policy as such. But they say that um, it's not fair that buses and trains have got more expensive, while motorists are subsidised, of course, because there's a uh, the fuel duty has been discounted up until July the 1st, uh, and that was a decision made in the wake of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The parties also want to introduce an accessibility limit, which means uh, they say everyone should be able to reach their local school, supermarket or hospital within 45 minutes on public transport, and if they can't the council should have to pay for them to go by taxi instead <laughs> okay that's ambitious yeah um so what are the opinion polls saying right now well it's the latest poll by eno which came in um started this week um suggests that Ruta's strategy isn't really working because the margins are actually getting smaller so the faith day is projected to be the largest party but it's uh, lost one percent in the last month and is now on 13.3 percent which would probably get it 10 of the 75 senators um remember the, lo- the provincial elections are an indirect election for the senate because the provinces choose the senators through an electoral college uh the baby bay the farmers party they've gone up quite a bit from 9.4 percent to 11.5 since the last poll a month ago and they've overtaken the pay fay now which has slipped back to 10.7 percent so ignoring the baby bay hasn't really worked out for rota and meanwhile Kuhnings and labor they've also gone up as well both of them and uh, just to recap they're standing as separate parties in the provinces but then they will form a joint faction in the senate and on Ian yeah, just to make things even even less complicated <laughs> than the audio <laughs> exactly yeah uh Ian's projection is that Kroonings will get 10.1% and Pefedia will get 8.1% so the alliance could end up with 14 senators and that would make them the biggest group and then I wanted you to guess who comes next in this opinion poll well which party is um, next most popular Pfeife, not Pfeife. Uh, no, we already had Pfeife. They were oh. still third. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so Pfeife Day, Pfeife, Pfeife, who links Pfeife Who's after that? Oh wow, Deze uh, Sester. No. Oh, who is it? It's Partij voor de Dieren. Really? Yes. They've uh, oh. this is one opinion poll which is stressed, but in four weeks Papatef and Adiran have overtaken Deisters Zestig and Ja in Twintig and the SP. And then oh, they're wow. up to fifth six in the polls. But I think it's really interesting. Especially Ja in Twintig. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people have been talking about Ja in Twintig, but they sort of dropped from seven percent to six percent. And Pefe Dede now currently stand on six point seven percent. So hmm. Yeah, well, well, well done for the animal rights uh, party. They uh, they currently have, I think, in the Senate. I can't find them. Are they even on the list? Yeah, they have three seats in the Senate right now. Yeah. Uh, so, but with these sort of uh, numbers, they they are bound to 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 gain a number of seats there. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, so they always get over. They, they often get overlooked in election yeah. campaigns and all discussions about which parties are doing well or badly. But they just keep on picking up votes with every election that goes by. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would be if they can hop, they finish above Desesesesterch and Jaen and Twintig, that would be quite a result for them. Um, and then going further down, the CDR is still having an absolute disaster. They're below five percent now. Um, and then you got uh, the FAD, SAB and Denk. I think the other interesting thing in this poll is that um, the PFD Hun links we've already talked about are on about eighteen percent collectively, but the coalition. The four parties in the coalition are on 28%. So when you add that mm. up, even if they bring in Pfeiffer and Kuhn links, they still don't have a majority in the Senate. They need somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, who's going to, who is it going to be? Uh? Uh, Partei van der Dieren? Uh, yeah, might be. Who that knows? seems to be a logical... Uh, 
ja, uh, 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 partner voor PvdA en GroenLinks, ik denk. Ja, ja. Uh, I did Rutte's thing there, didn't I? I called it Partij van de Dieren, not Partij voor de Dieren. He always said, yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> always his, his standard joke. Uh, party yeah. of the animals and not for the animals. Yeah. Um, but we shouldn't forget about uh, the most important uh, election of all, and that is the waterboard elections. Yes, we absolutely must not forget the waterboard elections, uh, which are being held on the same day. And unlike the provinces, foreign nationals get a vote. So if you live here in the Netherlands, ah. you should get a polling card or a stem pass through the door before March 15th which will entitle you to choose officials for your local Vatus Cup. Not all the officials, because there are also members who are appointed by uh, the um, uh, the farming industry and uh, who else? <laughs> Entrepreneurs, I think. Entrepreneurs, yeah, business. So, yeah, I think they represent businesses. Business, yeah. Businesses, yeah. Um, uh, fewer and half, but, but fewer and half of people in the Netherlands are planning to vote in these elections, and only one in five know which of the lists of candidates best represent their point of view, because as ever, there are parties that produce lists that you then vote for in a proportional system. Um, also, some parties combine their, can- their lists of candidates uh, for the waterboards as well. Um, but nearly three-quarters of people say they are concerned about the effects of extreme weather, but only two-fifths of those say they're more likely to vote as a result, even though waterboards have quite a crucial role in things like setting the water levels in the dikes and environmental planning. That's according to a survey by political panel operator CitySense. And there are stem visors as well to help you choose uh, who you should vote for for the waterboard, and we'll link to those in the liner notes. And we'll have a full preview of the local elections in our next podcast, which will be in two weeks' time on March the 3rd. Yes, and the waterschappen, they are the oldest uh, administrative bodies in the Netherlands. When do you think that the first, uh, uh, um, the first waterschap was founded? Yeah, if, I know you've asked me this question before, and I think it's around about the um, the 12th century, wasn't it? It's like yeah, the 13th century, 1255. 13th century, yeah. yeah. The Rijnland. So uh, if you live there, you are uh, governed by a very old administrative body. The Dutch economy grew by 0.6% in the final quarter of 2022, which is larger than the 0.2% growth recorded in the third quarter, National Statistics Agency CBS said on Tuesday. There were fears that the Netherlands would enter a slight recession in the final months of this year, but this has been avoided. Larger exports, more investments by trade and industry and higher consumer spending I wonder why we have spent uh, much more money than... Uh, yeah, than, uh, it's, a, it's a mystery, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, So it's yeah. a mystery that has all contributed uh, most to the growth. Um, the Dutch figure is higher than that of France and Belgium, which uh, saw growth of 0.1%. Uh, and also uh, compared to Germany, where the economy contracted by 0.2%. So, uh, yeah, we won, we won this, uh, this we battle. We won this of, round uh, against the Germans. We won well this done. round. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you get your orange feeling... Um, yeah. Uh, thanks to these uh, growth numbers. Yeah. Uh, and also the EU as a whole, uh, there was no growth, according to the CBS. Uh, the growth over 2022 as a whole was 4.5% compared to 4.9% in 2021. But this is the first time in 20 years the economy has grown so strongly in two successive years, despite the corona pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Is and it not partly because minist- of the corona pandemic, really? Because we're kind of recovering from 2020, right? When we had that uh, big shot. Dip. 
Uh, yeah, but it was a. Uh, the, the first half of 2021 was a dip, and the second yeah. half was was a very high peak, um, and that resulted in this 4.9% uh, uh, yeah. combined, and uh, now it is 4.4.9% uh, uh, in 2021. And now it's 4.5, and yeah, we are recovering from the from the pandemic, and uh, we have a little bit of a. Um, uh, we, uh, we have some catching up to do compared to other countries because uh, our lockdown ended uh, later than other countries. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that w that's where the 4.5% comes from. And also the Netherlands is, of course, a very open economy. So we benefit a lot of uh, from a lot of growth of, of our surrounding countries mm -hmm. that always has a magnifying effect for our economy. And on the other hand, if these countries have a uh, bad economy, we also we are also hit. Uh, worse than them, so um, yeah, the, we we we, uh, we 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 have uh, we have large dependency of uh, of the rest of Europe. So um, 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 it it would be uh, very unwise to cut ties with uh, with the yes with yes the rest shut of Europe. the borders and um, uh, you know, shut the borders and yeah. um, uh, have some uh, some border uh, uh, yeah have have customs uh, have customs uh, officials standing next to uh, uh, every every border crossing. So. Um, mm -hmm. Um, but um, I think uh, we are uh, sort of straying off the script now. But yeah. straying <laughs> off the script right now. <laughs> Where am I? Oh yeah, Finance right. Minister Sigrid Kaag. Uh, she said she is very happy with the growth figures. Uh, she described it as comforting, uh, and she attributed the fact that the Netherlands is doing better than neighboring countries to the cabinet. Uh, of course so she, she did. Was, uh, yeah, of course yeah. she did. Uh, she did warn, though, that the high inflation uh, and growing interest rates could cause problems in the coming years, though. And um, yeah, uh, inflation remains extremely high with 7.6% in January 2023. But this is uh, yeah basically nothing compared to uh, the last months of 2022. Yeah. We had uh, double-digit uh, uh, rates of inflation. Yeah, we got up to about 17% in October, didn't yeah. we? So uh, the, the interesting thing is yeah. that yeah, when you look at lot the to track the course of inflation last year, it kind of started kicking off really in about March. So it'd be interesting to see whether we get compound inflation, you know, inflation on top of inflation, or do we actually start to see inflation come down quite fast to kind of you know counterbalance yeah. what happened last year when the gas prices were going through the roof? We will see. Um, and Rob Yetten has uh, got some good news as well. He's always uh, he, he's always uh, keen to bring good news in new Rob Yetten. Yes, that's right. The yeah. uh, the energy minister he uh, has uh, announced that the Netherlands is finally independent from Russian coal, oil, and crude oil, and uh, we are now complying with EU sanctions directed at Russia, which were imposed following the invasion of Ukraine. And while natural gas isn't covered by the sanctions, the Netherlands is hardly importing any gas from Russia right now. Uh, this used to be 25% at the start of the war, but uh, yeah, it is now basically down to 0%. Uh, there's still some uh, import of uh, liquid natural gas from Russia. Uh, it's down to 15% compared to 30% uh, uh, last year. But the energy minister said the Netherlands is working hard to find alternative ways, for example, by organizing gas purchases at a European level in different and more stable regions. Uh, the demand of gas was also reduced by the decision to allow coal-fired power stations to operate at full capacity for a time. They were originally planned to be closed down in the near future, but uh, they remain open uh, for, for, for a number of years longer yeah. than that. Um, and uh, yeah, this 
60% of the Russian state's uh, income is derived from fossil fuel sales. So yeah, this, um, uh, if we also want to do something against the war in Ukraine, it also means that we should cut uh, their major source of income. And uh, yeah, we are finally on track uh, of doing that, even though Russia is now finding alternative um, uh, uh, markets to sell their f- uh, fossil fuels, for example, in Asia. It is, um, but if it's being forced to sell at a discount, it's not getting anything like, the, he's not being able to replace the income it's lost from Europe. That's right. Then, so he's yeah. he's going to uh, uh, Putin is going to find it very hard to to buy some uh, high marks from uh, uh, <laughs> from America. Yeah, yeah, especially as we're buying all the high marks anyway yeah, exactly. from, uh, yeah, from yeah, America. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we can give priority. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so yes. Yeah, so, so we're burning less gas, which is good, but we're or we're buying less gas from Russia. We're also using less gas. Gas consumption has yes. gone down, which is one reason that which the gas some politicians uh, thanked Vladimir Putin for quite scandalously uh, on Twitter <laughs> yes, quite this week, that, yeah. which could yeah. have also been the opposite of the week easily. Miley Vossi is the, uh, the the Senate leader of the of the Labour Party. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, there was the news about this uh, lower usage of gas in the Netherlands and yeah, yeah in a <laughs> slip of the tweet, I guess, she uh, thanked Putin for finally uh, making it happen that we are uh, using less gas. And, yeah, I think uh, it was a kind of misguided attempt at humour, especially compounded by the fact that although we are using less gas, we're also burning more coal, which is sort of, uh, you know, yeah, which isn't something you should really be doing when you're trying to um, convert to green energy. It's uh, yes, really and also a lot of people uh, that uh, originally used to vote for the Labour Party uh, uh, are are using less gas simply because they cannot, yeah, pay for it anymore. Yes, exactly. So, it's just become uh, unaffordable. Also, uh, so they're sitting freezing in their homes. Yeah, so that also made her comment a little bit awkward. But um, uh, she has apologized now. So. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully the the the, you know the uh, voters have have a very short term memory. So hopefully for her uh, next next month there is another scandal people are focusing for uh, focusing on. Yeah. So we've managed to wean ourselves off Russian energy, but there's still only one source of reliable premium grade Dutch news and politics. Yes, it's the Dutch News podcast. And the good news is that unlike Vladimir Putin, we won't be ramping up prices tenfold this summer to bankroll a failed invasion of our neighbours. You can still support this podcast for a dollar, a euro or a pound a month, and your generous donations really do help us to keep making these podcasts. And to say thanks, we gave new patrons a shout-out and invite you to ask us your questions about police cats, Luxembourg television stations, or boring stuff like the waterboard elections. <laughs> this week we have uh, one new patron to thank, uh, that's uh, Eric Heilmann. So thank you very much, Eric, for your generous uh, donation. Thank you. We don't have a question from Eric, uh, but we are very, very grateful, as we are to all our patrons, our lovely patrons who uh, continue to support us. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, go to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Dutch News N-L. We start our weekly sports roundup in Rotterdam, where the biggest Dutch men's tennis tournament, the ABN Ammo Open, is taking place this week. And there are four homegrown players in the draw for the first time since 2012. And the man in form, Talon Kriegspoor, is through to the quarterfinals after he beat the German number eight seed, Alexander Zverev. He won a title at the start of this year, Kriegspoor, and he's still going strong uh, through to the quarterfinals for the first time. Hmm. He came back from a set down to win. And um, yeah, he played some very nice shots, including a drop volley to rescue a service game early in the second set, which was sort of the start of a turnaround for him. And if he wins his quarterfinal, he'll break into the world's top 30 for the first time. He rated it as one of the finest wins of his career and said it was not bad for an Amsterdammer. Obviously, playing in Rotterdam. Ah, okay. I thought, why was he saying that? I now understand. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also in the quarterfinal, he'll be playing another Dutchman. So there'll be definitely be a Dutch semi-finalist because Gijs Brouwer uh, progressed at the expense of the Danish number four seed, Holger Rune, uh, who retired mid through the second set of the quarterfinal. I'm not quite sure why, but Brouwer was already a set and two breaks up, so Rune may have just decided he had enough. The Dutch number one, Bortik van der Zanskulp, was knocked out in the second round by Daniel Medvedev. Uh, van der Zanskulp has been struggling with a thigh injury all season and only managed to take four games off the Russians, so he could do with a high Mars system as well. <laughs> and uh, Tim van Rijthoven went out in the first round to the big serving American Maxime Cressy. But nevertheless, four Dutch players in, so signs of uh, some little mini slow revival in uh, Dutch tennis, perhaps. Yes, and the... Uh ABN AMRO tournament is, of course, organized by Richard Krajcek, yeah. who uh, is uh, yeah, the only Dutch Wimbledon winner, I think, he is. ever. Yeah. yeah, he is. So he's been organizing this tournament for, yeah, I think... About 20 years, I think. Is, yeah. About 20 yeah. years. And every yeah. year he tries to, you know, uh, bring in the number one or the number two uh, uh, tennis player to the tournament. And uh, so he, he's been trying to get um, uh, Roger Federer or, or Nadal uh, to, to come to Rotterdam for years. And every time they say they were they are coming and then the, the, the week <laughs> before the tournament starts, they cancel. Uh, they drop out, yeah. Yeah, they drop out. So, yeah, it's very, very sad every year to see each other. Yeah. Yeah, he did manage to persuade Federer to come back uh, about four years ago, and Federer won. He, he's won it three times. So Federer has uh, been uh, turned up in Rotterdam a couple of times. Ah, okay. But Krajicek yeah, himself, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, he's won the tournament twice uh, in his heyday in the 90s. But since he became tournament director, he hasn't managed to engineer a home win for a Dutch player. So he's still yeah. looking for that elusive... Uh, win so perhaps uh, yeah Kriegspoor will uh, will provide it and uh, yeah I think we're going to stay indoors now because Femke Ball has been posting some impressive times on the athletics tracks right yes uh, she set two Dutch records in an afternoon in Metz last weekend mm. and uh, has time for the 400 meters of 49.96 seconds where it was uh, a real eye catcher because it's the fourth fastest ever run by a woman indoors and it's the first time 50 seconds has been broken since 2004 when hmm. Ball was three years old. So it's been, uh, yes, it's the fastest time in uh, yeah nearly two decades. And a few hours later, she ran the 200 metres in a Dutch record of 22.87 seconds. And that was really harsh on Lika Klaver. Poor Lika Klaver had just set a national record about 15 minutes earlier in a previous race. So, yeah, she was record holder for less than an hour, basically. Yeah, this, this was her 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. <laughs> it really was, yeah. yeah. And she didn't even get to play the drums for you too. <laughs> Uh, Boll has also set a world best time this year at the uh, rarely run distance of 500 metres and she looks to be hitting form just in time for the European Indoor Championships which start in Istanbul on March the 2nd. So any football news this week or can we just uh, skip it and go to the next uh, segment? No, sadly there's been some football. Um, ah. There's been some European football started up again. The Nations League or? Uh, no. Oh, Okay, then I'll allow you to continue, because if there was Nations League stuff, then I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, okay, now you have to get up and walk out. But uh, No, the, the Champions League has restarted, but there are no Dutch clubs in that anymore. But in the UEFA Europa League knockout playoff round, first leg matches, don't ask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ajax held uh, Union Berlin to a goalless draw at home. Berlin had a goal disallowed in the second half for handball, but it was uh, spotted by the VAR. So uh, Ajax still went in with a shout in, in that tie, progressing next week. PSV, on the other hand, they got a bit of a mountain to climb. They went to Sevilla, which is the former club of Luc de Jong, who had a very successful time there, but it wasn't a happy reunion as Wood van Nistelrooy's side went down 3-0. Hmm. 
Feyenoord are already through to the last 16 for reasons that are too complicated to explain, <laughs> as are as at Altmar in the Conference League. And in the Eredivisie, the top five teams all won at the weekend, including a 6-0 win for PSV against bottom side Groningen and a 5-0 for AZ to home to Excelsior. And that means Feyenoord are still two points ahead of AZ, with PSV third, Ajax fourth and Twente in fifth. And in the weekend's big match, Feyenoord and AZ play each other in Rotterdam on Saturday evening. When I said Nations League earlier, I meant the Conference League. Ah, oh, the Conference <laughs> League, okay. Yeah, it's easy so, to get uh, them mixed up. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're <laughs> equally ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I have mentioned them uh, anyway. So, uh, yeah, you'll get lucky here. Appeal court judges on Tuesday ruled that the use of ethnicity and race by Dutch border police to determine who to pick out for further checks on their arrival in the Netherlands is discriminatory, overturning a lower court decision. The courtroom in The Hague was filled with people who backed the case, many of whom cried as the ruling was read out. The complaint was brought against the Koninklijke Marche by a coalition of human rights organizations and two Dutch citizens who have been stopped repeatedly by the police agency at the border. This is discrimination on the basis of race, the presiding judge said. Race may only be used as a distinguishing factor if there are extremely special circumstances and the state has failed to prove this. Discrimination on the basis of race without objective and reasonable justification is a particularly serious form of discrimination, the court said, adding that there is a knock-on effect into wider society. Dutch people with a skin color other than white may feel unaccepted and that they are second-class citizens because of this. In uh, 2021, a lower court had found that the use of race or ethnicity could be a factor when considering who to check at border crossings. And a month after that ruling, the border police had already said they would stop using race as a selection criteria. But this is um, yeah, now reinforced by the ruling of the uh, appeal court. Um, yeah, the case was brought by uh, former Eindhoven City Council member Mepansu Babenga. He was uh, once pulled uh, aside for extra screening at Eindhoven Airport uh, after he returned from a conference in Rome in 2018. He was born in Congo and yeah, when he asked why he was picked out of the of the line, uh, the Marechaussee said they were looking for a Nigerian money smuggler. Uh, so uh, yeah, that prompted him to, uh, to file this complaint and later to organize this court case. And Bamenga told broadcast NOS that the ruling ends the struggle that has lasted for years. Skin color, he said, says nothing about whether someone is criminal or not. This is a victory for myself, for my children and ultimately for everyone in the Netherlands. It's just staggering. It's taken five years for the courts to come around to deciding that uh, just picking someone up purely on the basis of skin color is, 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 is discrimination. And the kind of the hoops that the border police and uh, you know jump through and 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 lower court to low, to lesser extent sort of saying well it's kind of you know you can discriminate a little bit you know as long as it's only like a secondary characteristic or something it was just very very bizarre yeah basically the border police has always said that race or skin color was never the determining factor for someone to be picked out of the line but the court has now said they have not enough proof to to show that that is actually the case uh, the, the the judge says that based on all the cases that were brought forward uh, it appears that the, that skin color was indeed in these cases the determining factor so uh, that is now stopped uh, but still in the court ruling the appeal court says that uh, race or skin color uh, can only be a factor in extremely special circumstances so yes there still is so there still is kind of a sort of a teeny kind of 
of uh, yeah, yeah. loophole, possibly. But yes, it is, it's hard to think what what kind of yeah special circumstances would justify it. Yeah, so I, I looked into the into both uh, rulings, the 2021 ruling and, mm. and the one of, of of this week, and they both say that skin color can be in special circumstances, a reason to pick someone out. But the difference is that in 2021, the court said, uh, no, that wasn't the case uh, in Bamenga's incident in 2018. And this court now says that it was. That is, in my opinion, the difference. But yeah, I'm not a legal scholar or anything. So that's just my armchair (laughs) conclusion. Yeah, I guess if you had a description of a specific person that you were looking for and a skin color was a part of the description, then you might might be justified in... Picking out people who who match the whole description, but if it, but in this case it was something so vague, just saying yeah. there are Nigerians smuggling money through Schiphol, so therefore we're going to pick out everyone who looks a bit Nigerian. You're, <laughs> you're yeah. not going to yeah. be able to make that stand up in court. Are you? There are growing calls for a Dutch businessman who saved thousands of Jews in Lithuania from the Holocaust to receive a posthumous honour. Jans Vattendijk issued visas to people who wanted to flee to the Dutch Caribbean colonies, which were not occupied by the Germans, before they could be deported to the death camps. Tragically, his efforts weren't recognised during his lifetime, and he went to his grave believing he'd only saved one person. But on the day of his funeral in 1976, the Simon Wiesenthal Centre, which specialises in Holocaust research and tracking down Nazi war criminals, contacted his family to say that 95% of the people who went to the Caribbean on his visas had survived the war. So Short Short Smart, Dezen Zestig's foreign affairs spokesman, started a campaign to award Svartendijk the Grootkruis in the Order van de Nederlandse Leeuw, which is the highest honour the king can bestow after reading about his feat in the 2018 book. He's written to the king and has the backing of his fellow MPs and Dutch-Jewish organisations. Yeah, but it's a small, small spanner in the works, isn't there? Yes, because uh, the Grootkruis in the Order van de Nederlandse Leeuw isn't awarded posthumously, or at least hmm. it never has been before. But Schwarzmeier isn't put off by that. He says in his letter to the king that Svartendijk flouted the rules for a good cause, so breaking with protocol would actually be a fitting way to commemorate him. Svartendijk's good deeds weren't recognised during his lifetime, though since his death he's been added to Israel's list of the righteous among the nations, which is a record of people in Europe who protected Jews from the Nazis, and Lithuania put up a memorial to him in 2018. Yeah, and he's quite uh, unknown in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, and until his book was published uh, in 2018, yeah. there wasn't really much uh, yeah, awareness of him at all. Uh, but his efforts uh, yeah, weren't noticed by the Dutch state, uh, right? Well, they were, but um, in a different way, because uh, Svartendijk was reprimanded by the foreign minister after the war, Josef Lunds, for breaching the visa regulations. So, oh, wow. in classic kind of sort bureaucratic, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, he didn't apply the rules properly, so no. he got a stain against his, <laughs> uh, his record. Yeah, so, so you rescued you no know, couple of thousand Jews, but you know you didn't do it in the bureaucratically correct way. So, no, 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 no honors for you. Uh, yeah, and Josef Lunds, uh, who was foreign minister for 15 years until 1971, had previously been a member of the NSB, the Dutch <laughs> Nazi Party, before the war. <laughs> there may, so there may be a connection between those two things. I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing. Yeah, his love for the right stamps and um, yeah. um, signatures at the appropriate places. Yeah, Indeed, yeah, yeah. And for meticulous, he kept uh, maintained records as well. Schultzmaier says uh, that was uh, one thing about Svartendijk, that he didn't really care about decorations, but he was always bothered by the formal reprimand. Yeah. Um, about his behaviour. So five years ago, the Dutch government actually apologised to his children um, for yeah for, for, for ticking him off. So how exactly did Swartendijk manage to arrange these visas for, for thousands of Jews? 
Well, he went to Kaunas, uh, the Lithuanian capital, as the head of Philips, uh, but he was also acting consul, so that gave him uh, diplomatic status and a role in the embassy. And in July 1940, the Soviet Union annexed Lithuania, and some Dutch-Jewish families then asked the embassy to arrange visas for them to go to Curaçao. Svartodijk procured visas for them, and word very quickly spread through the grapevine, and in the next three weeks, he issued 2,300 visas which allowed an estimated nine to 10,000 people to travel to the Caribbean, because obviously people were allowed to take their families with them. Lithuanians had been offered Soviet citizenship after the invasion, but a lot of Jews didn't fancy that because Stalin was in an alliance with Hitler at the time, and also, well, he was Stalin. So they yeah. sort of wisely decided that wouldn't be a good move. And the other fascinating detail, I thought, was the role played by the Japanese consul, uh, Tioni Sukihara who arranged transit visas for everyone to go to the Caribbean because they couldn't travel through occupied Europe. So Japan, which obviously was also mm. on the other side in the Second World War, ended up playing quite a key role in transporting Jews to safety. But um, in August 1940, the Dutch embassy was closed following the Soviet uh, occupation. And in September, Japan signed the tripartite pact with Germany and Italy, so the transit route was closed off as well. So Svartendijk's intervention proved to be very timely indeed. Yes. And there's also a, a sort of a contrast between um, uh, another uh, person who has come uh, into into the spotlight recently, and that is uh, uh, thanks to the series uh, The Stamhouder. Alexander Munninghoff, he, he has written a book about uh, his father, who uh, was also a Dutch businessman working in, um, in the Baltic States, but in uh, Latvia. And he went completely the other way around because his father joined the Waffen-SS and fought uh, with the, along the Nazis in the Soviet Union. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, always strange to see how uh, sort of similar s- backstories can, can result into completely different uh, ends. Uh, yeah, the different paths that people take, indeed. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and uh, we will not be back next week. Uh, We have a week off, but after that, uh, we will uh, return with uh, more Dutch news and more um, insights in the elections. Indeed. And we'll also be releasing a special episode next week uh, in place of the regular podcast uh, where we talk all about some intriguing episodes from Dutch history. So tune in for that. (laughs) 